people really thought the world was coming to an end. That was how it was interpreted by a lot of religious people on the right. Coming back to the Branch Davidians, they linked up with the Aryan nations. Ethnic purity starts to appear in the cults on the other end. We do start to see the belief systems from mainstream political systems bleed into those cults, even though they were trying to create something different. But what unites them is that both of these movements comprise of people who felt very alienated from society. This episode of Common Furious is the second part of a three-part discussion about cults and social justice. Together with a brilliant Miss Brosh, we'll talk about how cults interact with social constructs like race and gender and how they can act as an outlet of both progressive values and bigotry, especially in the digital age. In the next episode, which will be the last one on cults, we'll discuss the clickbait question, is social justice a cult? And how we can be better at navigating through spirals of radicalization. So stay tuned to hear the full conversation. Before we begin our show, please make sure you listen to the first part of this long discussion, which is the episode prior to this one, so that you can catch up with our flow of conversation. I hope you enjoy this episode, and now, let's begin. I want to go back to our discussion about Nexium a little bit, because it's a nice segue into the next section of our conversation, which is about cults and social constructs especially basing off of this idea of creating alternative hierarchies that put people at a seeming advantage when in fact it's not creating any real change in the real world. And it's tricky because in cults, empowerment will always end up in exploitation. And what I notice is that these examples are everywhere among cults that utilize the appeal of social justice or bettering yourself. It's just a pattern that these groups that initially advertise themselves as very progressive eventually end up exploiting the people that are and the groups that are most vulnerable in society. The Jonestown Massacre, for example, as you were saying, Jim Jones was a social activist and he founded the People's Temple on the promise of racial integration. But what's so ironic and eventually horrifying about the Jonestown Massacre is that two thirds of the people who died, who were killed, were African-Americans. And they were attracted to the group at first because of the promise of equality. And with Nexium, it's the same thing. The sex branding group within, it's called DOS, which is the abbreviation of the Latin phrase meaning master over female slave. And it was initially advertised as a female empowerment group as a branch of their self-help program, but it just turned out to be a total sex cult. And that's how we see that social constructs play a huge role in the replacement of empowerment with exploitation in these cults. Although I feel like it's more complicated than that, because another example that I found is Father Divine, who was an African-American spiritual leader back in the early 20th century. And even though it was exposed that he also financially abused his followers, his followers were actually early progenitors of the civil rights movement. They went on the streets to protest and all that. And that's why it's hard to dismiss cults and belief systems as complete opposites to progressivism, I would argue that they're more like an evil twin, because this is how we see the realm of spirituality and utopianism eventually branch out into the political system and really inspire change. One might even argue that the civil rights movement and Father Divine are doing the same thing. It's just a way of functioning and promise manifested in different modes. That's why I'm intrigued by these questions like, how do cults act as an outlet of progressive values? Are they successful? Have they failed? And what do the outcomes even tell us about belief systems and social justice? Let's come back to that later. 
Another thing I want to respond to is the cult of horoscope. As you were speaking, it reminds me of the phrase "the cult of mindfulness" that、mm-hmm. I see in a lot of the pop culture analyses, like Goop. Yes, or just meditation in general. Like search on YouTube, and there'll be meditation pizzas. It's crazy.、Um, but for me, it really stems back to the Cold War era, as we were talking about hippie culture. There were a lot of adaptation and appropriation of Eastern religions and philosophy. There were definitely exoticism that's going on, but also finding alternative solutions and culture. But it doesn't sit well with me because they are omitting the poverty and suffering in these Eastern societies and taking Zen philosophy as the brand of their psychopathic, cultish purposes. And so the fascination and appropriation of Eastern cultures, especially in the modern cult of mindfulness, is still present. But another thing that doesn't sit well with me is kind of relating back to the distraction in the political landscape, as we were talking about. Mindfulness has been used in ways as an emotional tranquilizer. Zen philosophy, even though its goal is for people to find enlightenment and peace, is something that can be easily morphed into a tool that makes people forget the questions rather than find the answers, and it keeps people docile. For example, you're in a company. And I know a lot of the corporations are doing this to their employees. Let's say what's causing your anxiety may be that you don't have a salary raise, but then they give you mindfulness sessions, and these workshops make you happy with the status quo, and you're all peaceful and zen without changing much about your life in actuality. And so, echoing back to the premise of cults, as we were speaking, it creates an escapist atmosphere that isn't really solving any real life problems. But prescribing you spiritual Xanax, and giving you a distraction or a fantasy of another better reality that you want to live in, and that's what I consider as one of the most fundamental differences between cults and political movements, as we were talking about Father Divine and the civil rights movement, is that cults create change or a miniature of hierarchies in separatist bubbles, while the actual changes happen not within the context of spirituality, but in the context of You gotta go on the protests, right? And lastly, I want to respond to, as you were saying, the hyper focus on horrible crimes and why people are so obsessed with serial killers. So, the first thing about cults is that, as modern human beings, we sort of see rituals as this gross thing. Now that we witness the decline of religions and learn to see the doctrine as somewhat primitive and even incompatible with the modern era. And now belief systems seem to belong to a crude civilization without the signs and law that define modern societies, and where communities thrive upon childish theories about gods and supernatural beings. And that's how we learn to gasp at these cultish crimes and take guilty pleasure in seeing these gross things happening. But it's also important to acknowledge that the fascination with tragedy. People know people are attracted to tragedies since forever. It's not just a modern secularized condition. Let's say the Greek tragedies—they were educational because by putting the darkest side or mistakes of humanity on the stage, it's a warning to us and also saying, "Okay, so we acknowledge that these impulses are within you, and now we're going to teach you a lesson." I saw this joke somewhere—I can't remember.、Um, it goes. Let's say Oedipus. How would the modern media characterize that story? Sex with mom causes blindness. <laughs> I mean, even Aristotle talks about the quote-unquote pleasures of tragedy. Good tragedy should inspire pity and fear. Pity for the downfall of the characters and fear for ourselves, as we all could potentially go down the dark path. And so, this hyper focus on tragedy is weirdly therapeutic, 
in some way because now we get to see our darkest human nature manifested and now we fear executing these impulses as we see what is going on in the world. I think the obsession with murder in particular, that's something that has bled into now, hence our conversation about cults. And also the fact that everyone's obsessed with murder, mystery, podcast, documentary, like that's a huge part of our society now and the cultural milieu. But I think it's interesting that our obsession with tragedy, as you're calling it, it's almost very similar to why people join cults or alternative society or they're a part of alternative belief systems. And I, I hate to say it again, but it is a way to create a tangible person or outlet for the wrongdoings of the world and also our anxieties. I think yeah. the reason why people were so obsessed with Ted Bundy and obsessed with psychological horror or even think about Hitchcock films in the 60s, people were going through a really difficult time in society. I mean, this is the height of the Cold War, the height of the arms race, fear of mutually assured destruction. Everything in society is changing. People are dressing differently. They're having different types of relationships. Even with something like civil rights, things are changing. And the way that human beings respond to crisis is they need an outlet. And so I think that being able to say the outlet for my anxiety and a person that I can blame is a Ted Bundy or, or like the Zodiac killer. People were so obsessed with this because there was so much moral outrage. And so being able to put a face to the amorphous enemy has always been a reaction from human beings. So I think that's where the fascination comes from. I also think it's really interesting to going back to the question about cults being an outlet of progressive values. I think once we get to the 80s, we're at a really interesting time because the sexual revolution has already happened. Civil rights has already happened. This is where we start to see this sort of liberal left coming to this place that is defined by identity politics. It's defined by social justice, social change, progressive values, right? That was the branch of society that we saw a lot of cults emerging from with Jim Jones and People's Temple, with Manson and hippie communes. That's all happening in cults that are centered around, like you said, these like quote unquote progressive values or Father Divine was another example, right? And then once we get to the 80s, we see the people like the Branch Davidians, for example, who were Seventh-day Adventists. They were totally coming from the reaction of the moral majority and the religious right and the people who really felt like the 1960s and 70s led America to this place of end of the world, apocalypse, right? That's something that we talk about going back to angels in America, right? Like people really thought the world was coming to an end and that was how it was interpreted by a lot of religious people on the right or end up finding a voice in the right at least. And we start to see cults, not that this didn't exist before, but we see coming back to the Branch Davidians, they linked up with the Aryan nations. That was a huge part of that movement. It's interesting to think about how ethnic purity and racism starts to appear in the cults on the other end. 
And I'm not pitting one against the other because they're both bad and ultimately exploited and violated a lot of people. But we do start to see the belief systems from our mainstream political systems bleed into those cults, even though they were trying to create something different. But what unites them is that both of these movements comprise of people who felt very alienated from society in a variety of different ways. So we kind of just end up in these cycles of alienation, isolation, and then death. <laughs> Speaking of cults on the right, I really want to talk about the case of incel. So cults, as we were saying, can act like outlets of progressive values, which eventually devolved into chaos and murder, but they can also act like outlets of bigotry. Also, just going from the logic of from personal anxiety and individual psyche to the collective conservatism of society. So here we go. The case of incel. I just think it's such a classic example of the decentralized online presence of modern cults, since we're also going to be talking about social media. So in case you didn't know, incel, which stands for involuntary celibacy, is an online decentralized misogynistic cult of sex-starved men who advocate for violence against women and the end of feminism. In 2014, the cult came into the public view as one of its members, Elliot Roger, killed six people after vowing to punish women for not having sex with him, and he publicized the whole process on YouTube. For me, what's so interesting about incel is that the emergence of incel and online hate cults demonstrates a new model of cults. I think like their historical counterparts, online hate cults fulfill the need of the ultra outcasts to belong and air their most extreme views, which in the case of incel is that women should be assigned to men like sex robots. But the difference is that their rulebook is a different kind. I think it's not necessarily the religious functioning of cults, but rather defined by the overshadowing hatred and anxiety of these men. And so rather than coming under the leader, I think the new model of cults is more about coming under a societal ideology, which in the case of incel is misogyny. And speaking of cults that act upon and unleash bigotry, I've definitely seen people call Capital Rioters a cult. Though I feel like that's a bit different from incels because they are coming under a sense of justice. Although that justice strongly overlaps with white supremacy, xenophobia, homophobia, and misogyny, it's just not the same clear-cut motive of misogyny that defines incel. It's more like a whole bundle of hatred under the leading figure of Trump. Well, we can't forget about QAnon, which I think is arguably totally a cult with a rule book, but you just have to think about it differently. Like Q is the big boss who's anonymous, obviously, but that might have been disproven by the documentary that came out about QAnon. But also, and then a puppet of Q would be, they're saying Trump is like Q and they're trying to prove that he's Q and he stands for all of the things that Q stands for. But instead of a rule book, we have conspiracy theories. They believe Hillary Clinton ran a sex trafficking ring and they believe that Jews controlled the weather and that- <laughs> Jewish space lasers. I, I mean, there's such an unbreakable link between conspiracy theories and anti-Semitism, but go on. Um, but you know, or like Pizzagate, they have these belief systems that inform their politics and contribute to creating an ideology that they feel is totally different and better. But I think you're right about the rallying behind justice as messed up as that justice is. I think that Again, we have people who feel isolated and they don't feel represented by the government. Yeah, but that's because they bought into the lies and alternative reality that Trump created for them. That's true. 
I think there are similar qualities and also the way that the online forums contribute to that is really interesting because oftentimes, like you're saying, the incels and QAnon, a lot of them exist purely online. People don't want their identities to be known. But in the same way that we have these cults of the previous era, they've created these alternative communities or utopian communities on big sprawls of land or in other countries, right, where they can escape extradition and law. But now we have the same exact thing happening, but on the dark web in these mm-hmm. forums and what do you call second? Reddit, 4chan. Reddit, 4chan. So there is an interesting parallel there. What do you think is distinct about cults in the digital age or the online presence? I think a sense of shame. A sense of shame? Yeah. Like I think going back to the incel community, obviously all of those folks are very ashamed to be themselves. And also I think there's a certain sense of anonymity or having some sort of alter ego because the internet, unlike a cult of the previous era, Online, people have the opportunity to be someone else. If they're like a dweeby little white boy, they can be this big macho guy online that spews racist sh- And I think that sense of anonymity helps perpetuate those groups because they don't face themselves. Whereas I think in, especially when you hear from former cult members from people that were in the People's Temple or people in Nexium, they were being like better versions of themselves as opposed to anonymous, completely different versions of themselves. Maybe the internet makes it less likely to be able to get somebody to talk you out of being a part of this because there's just so much misinformation. People will believe anything online. I mean, it's in the same way that we have a hard time knowing what's going on with something like COVID. The amount of stuff that's out there is just so overwhelming and creates so much anxiety. So it's almost like an overload of information as opposed to really preaching to a certain belief from one dude. So I guess access to information, access to anonymity, exchanging information, communicating very quickly. But similarly, the internet is kind of outside of the power structures of government. So there is like an anti-government, anti-authority thing that we got going on in both the digital age and the non-digital age. Thank you for listening to this episode of Common Furious about cults and social constructs and how belief systems of mainstream politics impact cults in the past and modern online cults. This is the second part of a three-part discussion about cults and social justice. If you haven't listened to the first episode, please go check it out. And please look forward to our next episode on the radicalization of today's social justice landscape as we wrap up our cult talk. Tune in each month for original content. And as the saying goes, keep calm and rage on.